Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of John Sayles, as recommended by James McCormick of The Cast of Cthulhu, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about John Sayles's 1984 film, The Brother from Another Planet, um, a film that Sayles describes as an assimilation film, uh, which is can be taken quite literally and also quite thematically as well. Just this idea of a an immigrant coming to a new culture and assimilating into it, which really begins at the very beginning. That was probably redundant, but what you see from the very beginning in which this, I was about to call him a man, but this alien does crash land on Earth, and the very first imagery we see of his journey into this planet and even into this film are the same images that an immigrant would have seen coming to America. We see Ellis Island, we see the Statue of Liberty, and he just gets uh, ingrained, or not ingrained, but his first exposure to this new world, to this new culture, is a very strange and, pardon the language, alien one for him. I mean, it's just, it's interesting that um, the first, uh, some of the first um, communication that someone has with him is another language. It is a Korean grocer who is yelling at him because he is uh, stealing. He doesn't seem to understand what he is doing or why he is doing it, but it, it is it is another language that is being um, uh, 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 that he is taking in. And though he doesn't seem to realize that, it, it's interesting to us that the first language that we are really exposed to, or, or the first language that we really experience with him, is a foreign language, um, a language that we don't understand, a language that if you put uh, watch the film with the subtitles on, it does not translate it for you. It doesn't tell you what she is saying. And I think that's a really interesting decision and a really interesting experience because it does sort of emulate that immigrant experience of just coming into a world where you don't understand anything, where everything is new and strange. And I mean, even visually, you kind of see the outfit that he's wearing. People are kind of looking at him funny as he's walking down the street because though in the film, his his outfit is very much out of this world, it's also just not something that everyone around him is used to seeing. And um, just, I mean, picture, or, or if you can imagine this experience of coming into a new culture, um, one in which you are entirely unfamiliar with its language, with its interests, with its iconography, and seeing uh, that, you know, giant crucifix in the store window, which he first sees this, uh, this you know, and, and I, I mean, something which is being commodified and, and pushed out to people, this this hugely influential uh, piece of, of myth, theology, even pop culture is an image of a man being crucified uh, as as a, as not just as an immigrant but as someone who is new to uh, uh, anything a, a city a country a planet just imagine that being one of the first pieces of iconography you see is a man uh, actually being killed um, it must be kind of strange but it, it, it's interesting to me too that um uh, some of uh, also some of the, the 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 way that this that the film reinforces uh this idea of the immigrant experience is the by giving him the powers of telekinesis by whenever you know he's in ellis island or or, or he's in this place and he's 
he's hearing the voices of people that have come before him. He's hearing their dialogue. He's hearing their screams. He's basically, he's hearing the experience. He is hearing the voice of history. He is experiencing everything that has come before him from people who are who have gone through the same situation he is going through. And I really like the decision to make uh, the brother a mute because it sort of allows the uh, the neighborhood to speak to him. And I don't mean that literally, and I also don't mean that in the sense of uh, John Sayles making New York City a character in this film. I roll my eyes a little bit whenever kind of people describe that. It often happens in New York City or L.A. where people say, I made the city a character in the film, which you really can't do. You can set it as a very um, rich tapestry or a backdrop. But to, to call it a character is a little bit disingenuous and pretentious if you want. But I do love the fact that uh, the brother in the film is a mute because it does allow the experience, the culture, the people of the neighborhood he's in, which is Harlem, to speak to him, to speak at him. And just by sitting and listening, by not engaging in dialogue, he is hearing the experiences and the stories of the people that are around him. Um, It's interesting to me, it was interesting to me at first that though this film takes place in Harlem, it doesn't really linger on any of the, what you would think of as the iconic Harlem locations. Um, The Cotton Club is in the film, but we don't spend a whole lot of time in it or focusing on it or why it is important. Um, The Apollo Theater you kind of see in the background, but we don't really draw a lot of focus to us. Marcus Garvey Park is not really um, a significant part of this film. These are all uh, locations that are sort of... um, interwoven within the identity of Harlem as a neighborhood, and yet sales in the film don't really linger on them. And I think it's because this is not a film which is supposed to be specifically about Harlem or about New York City, but it's supposed to be a larger story about assimilation and about immigration, and he wants to set it in a neighborhood which is a neighborhood, which feels like it has a culture, a history, and a pride to it. And you know, I'm I am a New Yorker. I'm sure a lot of people who live in New York now could kind of um, cast their vote for why their neighborhood is an important and historical one and has a you know a, a culture and a character to it, and that's fine. Um, but I would disagree to a certain extent um, about that. But also, just there there is you know Harlem is a very historically important place, and it is a place that because of what has happened in the past to it, both, you know, good things and bad things. It has developed an identity and and, and, and kind of an ecosystem um, unto itself. Um, I want to read kind of a long quote, but a a quote from an interview that uh, John Sayles gave to uh, DVD Talk in 2002 that hits on this a little bit more or digs into what he was doing with it a little bit more. So it's a a little bit of a long one, but bear with me. Um, And then later on, of course, I will post the link to this article on the Facebook page for you to read it in full. But he says, It's as things get more homogenized and that shopping mall culture spreads further and further that they're a little less different than they used to be. There's that thing that sometimes a place has a real ambience as well as an imaginary one. So with a place like Harlem, it's like Hollywood. You go to a place like Hollywood and Vine and there's not much there but there's an idea in people's heads of what Hollywood might be. For me in The Brother from Another Planet, Harlem was like that too, and that's one of the things that was interesting for me to get into the film. People, and even some of the black people in the crew, had never been to Harlem, and they had been warned against it from their parents or whatever. 
There's that imaginary Harlem that's iconic, and there's that everyday people go to work, people go to school Harlem, and the tension between the two of those things is some of what the movie is about. And so by focusing on that people go to work, people go to school kind of Harlem, he is bringing out the culture and the character of the neighborhood and of the people that, that live there and gives the brother a an environment in which to experience life, a culture, a new culture, which is entirely different from his own that he can kind of assimilate into, and also in which, through him, we can see, as Sale says, some of the tensions, some of the conflicts, specifically when it comes to race relations, which is certainly, you know, racism is still, spoiler alert, is still a huge problem today, but certainly in the 1980s, not just was it a problem in New York City and in Harlem, but as he says, there was also this perception of what this neighborhood was. And for the most part, for people who look like me, that perception was that this is a really dangerous neighborhood that you need to stay away from. And you kind of had this idea of some people thinking it is this um, really dangerous dingy broken down neighborhood that's far from the glory days of what it used to be and then you had the people that sort of lived there and were more experienced or, or, or around that area in which they thought this was a neighborhood that that had and still has character and has a pride and has a history and has a story and there's a real severe disconnect between that especially when you consider the demographic that was in there and the demographic that was pretty much avoiding it um it's interesting to me how this idea of the more things change, the more things stay the same. Uh, you know, you, you have the bartender who is talking about how he doesn't want to go anywhere below 110th Street, and you have people like you know the two the two white guys who are look who are um, lost and looking for Columbia University have, as you can tell, probably never been to 125th Street, and that was certainly a thing then. That's very much still a thing now, and that's because um, Harlem, which is if you don't know anything about Manhattan, is pretty far north in in the island um it's so vibrant and there's so much stuff there and it is so far away from what you would consider if you were outside of new york to kind of be manhattan if you think of Times square and penn station and madison square garden that kind of stuff which is all actually pretty far south on the island it's so far away from that stuff that it has developed its own ecosystem it is its own neighborhood you have that idea of people who kind of um, there are generations of people who have grown up there and have lived there and have never moved out of there and just there's not really a need to. But also as things have gotten worse in terms of um, gentrification, people kind of keep getting pushed further and further away from the center of um, the epicenter of where this stuff emanates out from. And so um, there's also just this severe reality of financially they are not able to really get away from where they're from. But um, it's... It's funny that scene where you have these two white guys who are lost looking for Columbia University because as the crow flies, Columbia University isn't that far away from Harlem. It's, it's you know, without boring you or, or bogging down this podcast too much in the, the minutiae of the New York City subway system, um, Columbia University is, you know, a little bit southwest of the neighborhood of Harlem. Um, but... There was this idea, especially back in, you know, Reagan's America, this idea of two white guys like them, you know, if they were up in 125th Street, they were kind of, oh, they're on the wrong side of the tracks kind of a thing. Um, and there's a, it's kind of darkly comedic now, 
Uh, but that sequence when the brother is on the subway train and a very young Fisher Stevens comes up and, and shows him the card trick. And it's a fantastic card trick. Uh, but the, also that, you know, the punchline at the end of it is like, and the next my next trick is I'll make all the white people disappear. And that's when you hear the announcement on the train. That the next stop is going to be 125th Street and all the white people clear out of the car. Um, that was a reality. Um, and that was a, a, a touchy thing for a while. And it's a bit different now. Um, it'd be great if I could say that it's a bit different now because um, things have changed for the better. But the reality of it is things are changing because gentrification is moving north. And I live off the A train line that that is, uh, you know, the, the subway line they keep talking about in the film in the sense of, um, you know, the, those college students are are lost they're trying to get back to it and that's the the subway train on on which the magic trick takes place um you see you do see a bit more um uh homogeny uh nope nope sorry um you do see a bit more diversity when it comes to how far that train goes but that's also because as i said gentrification is happening and specifically white people are moving more and more north and the neighborhood is changing um this is a bit ironic considering we have a film here which deals with the tension between races in a New York City neighborhood, in which it, one in which um, African Americans were the predominant and still are still kind of the predominant um, uh, racial group in a neighborhood, but that is slowly changing because of gentrification. The irony there, and it's not even really irony as much as just kind of a, an interesting little connection. This was the first feature film DP'd by Ernst Dickerson. And of course, Ernst Dickerson would later be a film, uh, the DP on a film which explored similar themes in a neighborhood in which similar things were happening in 1989 with Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. So it's very interesting that you have this guy lensing this film, two different films which are still kind of exploring the same themes but through very different... Uh, you know, very different experiences, basically. It's just interesting to me that, that you know, to kind of wonder um, what a guy brings to that experience if Spike Lee had seen this film, if he knew about this, and just kind of... Um, that That's a very fascinating kind of little bit of, of movie trivia that I, that I really like. But um, this idea of the racial divide and of racism and just kind of these real sharp separation of cultures is also seen quite funnily in the fact that... Um, the two aliens who are searching for the brother, and we can assume it's because um, of something having to do with whatever their planet's version of um, the American slave trade is, seen by that, you know, that, that touching little scene where the brother takes a little Earl to the museum and he kind of points to the picture of the slave and then points to himself and then points to up in space where he came from. Um, but the, the two aliens that are searching for him, played by John Sayles and uh, a very young David Strathairn, are white people. And I have to imagine it was a, an intention and deliberate direction that John Sales gave and John Sales took part in to kind of move incredibly weirdly. You know, you have these aliens who it, it seems like they're not entirely familiar with. Maybe they have different physiology in the planet that they came from, but they walk kind of weird. Pay attention anytime David Strathairn runs in this film, and he always runs almost as though he's sort of like a raptor or a tyrannosaurus rex and how he's kind of has like he pushes his his hands out almost as though they're claws and he's very 
He's very dedicated to it. John Sales kind of drops it when he does it, but David Strathairn sticks with it. But you get the sense that these that that there's a, a, a an intention behind making them seem incredibly physically out of place, not just on this planet, but in this neighborhood. Um, when they come into the bar originally looking for the brother after they leave one of the bartender or one of the patrons <laughs> has that line where he says white people are getting stranger um and it, it just kind of speaks to this idea of this racial divide and this racial tension and just not only are they f- spiritually out of place here they are they are physically out of place as well and how those two things work together um i also found it quite funny that it, it's it's a bit ironic that a uh, government red tape is what uh, ties up their search for the brother. You know, you kind of, uh, you, you are introduced to this this government office very early on, um, in which this just really overworked, tired guy is trying to help out this older woman who's complaining, and he eventually becomes the one who gets the brother to uh, uh, um, the, the the woman that's a, that starts kind of taking care of him at the, at the beginning. And... It is interesting that that a, a government building, a, a government room, a government system, which these days uh, is part of a larger system which can aid in oppressing, obfuscating, or making the lives of um, non-white demographics more and more difficult. It's funny to me that in this film it's twisted a little bit or, or turned on its head a little bit in the sense that it's it's this bureaucracy, it's this red tape of all these forms I have to fill out and bring this ID and, and, and a memo from this, uh, from your superior officer, that it's the red tape which slows down the alien search for the brother. I actually found that to be, to be quite, quite a, a delightful little twist um, on, on a, a, an unfortunately hard truth of, of reality. Um, the ending uh, in which the brother kind of becomes aware of and tracks down this uh, white corporate executive guy who is flooding um, the neighborhood with drugs. It's a bit, in my opinion, on the nose. I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, because certainly um, the the hooligans, if you want to call them that, who kind of harass him uh, a little bit, and who eventually, one of whom he finds um, dead from an overdose, they are... A, a recurring motif in the film, so it, it's not that it comes out of nowhere. It just, um, it doesn't seem like uh, it's as important or as central of a thrust of the film to make that the conclusion or the climax that this film ends on, um, and and especially kind of bringing that together with the two aliens who are who are, uh, you know, finally hunt him down at the end, and then you know he ultimately makes his escape with a, a thanks to a. If I interpret the ending correctly, a group of aliens like him who cannot speak uh, that have seemed to have been living uh, in this neighborhood as well for for a long time. But but just to kind of tie those two threads together at the end with this corporate executive who's been flooding the neighborhood with drugs and the two aliens who are searching for him. That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense or that union isn't really organic to me. But at the same time, I appreciate it for what it's doing because um, it's a bit on the nose, like I said, but it's also kind of touching uh, because it brings the story full circle or or to it, it, its full arc in the sense that he he now has found a home and that the struggle of this neighborhood uh, that's his struggle as well. The hardships that the people in this neighborhood are experiencing are his hardships as well, and just he has assimilated, he has found a home. 
It doesn't matter where he came from. It doesn't matter that he can't speak. This is his home now. And, you know, he is has contributed to it just as much as anyone else has, basically. It's a a really interesting film uh, that is a little bit rough, but also kind of um, impressive or respectable in its low-budget indie mindset. I mean, this from what I understand, this film only cost about $350,000 to make. Half of it was paid for um, a genius grant that... Uh, sales was granted so half of it was paid for him which would emulate the model of basically his entire film career it seems in the sense of he made some money would put most of it into the film that he was making um and you can really tell that it it is a a low-key production you can really get the sense that a lot of these shots were probably sales and dickerson and maybe a very very small skeleton crew just shooting on the streets of New York City wherever they re- wherever they could and were, you know, uh, you know, probably shooting MOS and then putting the sound in later on. I mean, you really do get that sense. It is technically a little bit rough in some parts. Um, the fight with the aliens in the bar is... Uh, it's not hard to follow. It's easy to follow. It's just not choreographed or executed very well. But it's low-budget... And it kind of wears its heart on its sleeve on what it's trying to go for. And it's respectable and it explores some themes which are still relevant today. And I think that has to be rooted in the fact that sales, he says in the same interview, he's traveled to all 50 states and he stayed at least one night in all of them. And just he he was experiencing these different cultures and he was a guy who, um, you know, certainly was educated, but then kind of worked for a while in you know, low-income, blue-collar jobs, basically, and just kind of getting a sense of what people are like, what a culture is like, what a city is like. And I think it's a really interesting step that he took, or a really interesting direction that he took the film in the sense of, like, let's not focus on iconic Harlem. Let's not focus on the specifically the history of this neighborhood. Let's focus on the people who are in this neighborhood, what they bring to a culture, what they bring to a city to make it so specific and so familial. And let's make this an environment where sort of you really feel the reality of that assimilation journey. Um, Also interesting to me, um, I don't know if you notice this as well, but um, once the brother moves in temporarily with, uh, with that woman and little Earl, there's also a character, I believe, that she is just credited as Mama. And if she looks familiar to you, it's because it's the actress uh, Rosetta Lenore. And even if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, um, you may know her better as a um, Mother Winslow from Family Matters. She was the the, the matriarch of the family. Um, but also doing a little research, um, she wasn't just an actress. She wasn't just known or, 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 or best known or her biggest accomplishment wasn't just being the grandmother from Family Matters. Um, she was also in the uh, the 1930 uh, theatrical production of, of, of Macbeth done in, with entirely black actors that was uh, done by Orson Welles. Um, and she was also a very successful Broadway producer. So this woman had um, quite a colorful, vibrant, fascinating career. And yet here I am 
watching this movie thinking, oh, that's the grandma from Family Matters. So um, that just goes to show you how how uh, how cultured I am or uh, am not, for lack of a better word. But um, yeah, a really um, a really interesting film that I don't think is bogged down by its its low budget production because the themes that it's trying to get to are so clear and so resonant and still so, I already said resonant, but are still relevant um, today. And so uh, that, that was a really interesting experience to watch this film, and I'm really excited to, to see what else John Sales um, has in store for me. But um, it's availability if you want to watch it for the first time or want to watch it again, a little bit limited. As far as I can tell, it's only available on Amazon for rental or purchase. It's not really anywhere else. So if you find it anywhere else, it's probably not super legit. And I'd be a little bit worried about the quality of it anyway. But um, yeah, that, I, I don't really have anything else much to say about The Brother from Another Planet. So I am always curious, of course, to see what your thoughts are of this film. Um, you can shoot me an email at badly at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at me at NolanFixesTeeth. And be sure to catch up on back episodes of I Do Movies Badly, either going to battleshippretension.com and finding my podcast in the podcast drop-down menu or going to idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. I haven't said this in a while because I've forgotten about it. If you listen to it on iTunes, um, take the time to, to leave me a review. Could be five stars if you agree with it. Could be one star if you really hate it. <laughs> um, but I would, uh, I would absolutely love your feedback in any way, shape, or form. So that uh, does it for my review of The Brother from Another Planet. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking about Eight Men Out and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.